Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. If California were a country, it would be the sixth largest economy in the world, on par with France. Its population is greater than that of countries like Poland and Canada, so what happens in California can very much impact the rest of the world. One fairly direct manifestation of California's global relevance is in the state's approach to climate change. Earlier this summer, California revamped its cap-and-trade program. This is a policy innovation intended to curb emissions by creating a market around greenhouse gases like carbon. Basically, companies can buy and sell permits to each other to release set amounts of greenhouse gases. So that's one way California is having a global impact. There are others as well. And on the line with me to discuss California's global impact is California State Senator Ben Allen. Senator Allen represents about 1 million people in communities around Los Angeles and has been in the state Senate since 2014. We discuss California's approach to climate change and also some strategies that Senator Allen and his colleagues are employing to blunt some of the effects of the federal government's decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. We also discuss some other issues of transnational concern, like ensuring the education of immigrant children is not interrupted should they get deported. This is a fascinating conversation about how individual states can impact international relations, and I was glad to catch up with Senator Ben Allen. He, like me, is a Humanity in Action senior fellow, and we do discuss a bit about how that program helps guide his work to this day. All right, now here is my conversation with State Senator Ben Allen. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The interesting thing, of course, is that California it took on a, a, was, was playing a, a very important global leadership role on climate change before even Trump became president. Mm -hmm. You know, California had a seat at the table at the Paris Accords right next to Canada in a lot of the, you know, yep. a, lot, a lot of the uh, meetings. Well, I was looking at, um, I was looking at, at, at sort of the size of California's economy versus other countries. It's basically the size of, of France. It has a similar and an equivalent GDP. Yep. Exactly. It's extraordinary. I and mean, we are, we on our own, we're the sixth largest economy in the world. We're apparently on track to overtake the UK, <laughs> partly because of the, you know, part, I mean, partly of course, because of the um, uh, Brexit. Mm -hmm. you know, but it's, it's a, 
It's so, a pretty amazing thing. There's a lot of power in the state of California, both politically, economically, et cetera. So, so innovatively. How can sort of the state government, the state legislature, even individual state legislators like yourself, um, wield influence globally from, you know, a seat in Sacramento? So, okay. So when we have this kind of, of economic and political power, and then when we have the kind of consensus that exists within the state, you know, the fact that we've got you know, pretty unified government on the democratic side, for example, where people actually care about environmental protection. And, and um, we are able to pass laws that actually end up having global impact. And by the way, the recent cap and trade deal that we just struck that we hope will provide a continuing model for other jurisdictions around the world was actually the product of a bipartisan compromise that involved the very close collaboration with former Republican governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and, of course, the uh, former Republican leader of the Assembly, Chad Mays. He was the Republican leader at the time, and he played a big role in helping to strike a deal with the governor uh, to come to come to terms in a, in a more market business-friendly way, such that it actually ended up that the Chamber of Commerce supported our cap-and-trade deal because they saw this as a market-friendly way of addressing the state's climate change goals and needs. But the thing is, so 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 when we have a, an economy of our size and we pass policies that help to promote, incentivize, and require changes in the environmental space, it forces businesses and industries to change. One perfect example is in the area of emissions from vehicles. Uh, California was given a waiver. California was allowed under the Clean Air Act to set stricter standards than the federal government on automobile emissions. Part of that was a recognition of the fact that California had these terrible air conditions. People were very concerned about health impacts and environmental impacts on, of the smog crisis in Los Angeles during the 70s. Yeah, there's like and the famous result, photos of LA in the 70s, like all covered in smog. Exactly, exactly. So, so exactly. And, and as a way of trying to address that enormous challenge, California went off on its own and was able to adopt a whole set of environmental policies that were much more aggressive than what other states were, were pursuing. And, 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 and ultimately, they were able to force the entire automobile industry to make uh, structural changes to cars, which ended up impacting the whole country, and in fact, the whole world, uh, by forcing a, re a reduction of emissions. California has so many of the nation's cars. Uh, you know, we were able to, to 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 force technological changes that ended up having a follow-on impact globally. Um, you know, we're a major petroleum user. As much as we'd like to reduce our our use of petroleum, the fact is that we end up uh, a major consumer of petroleum as a state. And so, when we pass policies and procedures that force uh, higher energy or higher energy efficiency. I mean, um, you know, that th those kinds of laws can end up forcing changes in technology, which can be scaled around the world. So, um, and, and, that, and, and, and we're able to do that as, as, because we're so big. I think it'd be, it'd be much harder for a, a significantly smaller state to do that. Um, you know, there's often that cliche that, you know, states are the laboratories of democracy, but I I've seen, um, you know, commentary about how California's cap and trade bill, which I, I know uh, you had a hand in, in helping get sort of passed and revamped this time around, as, as you just alluded to, is something that is being sort of consider is considered like a policy innovation that other constituencies, other um, districts around the world 
are looking to. Can you, I guess, yep. talk uh, talk a little bit, uh, one, about people who are not familiar with what the cap-and-trade system is, what it is, uh, what law, the law that you passed this summer, and, and how, or what you're hearing from, you know, other you know, people from around the world about sort of the innovations embedded in this piece of legislation, how it might uh, be copied uh, in other jurisdictions. So cap-and-trade is a, a market-based a policy solution that seeks to set ever decrease the ever declining caps on our greenhouse gas relation emissions, our carbon emissions, and a trading system that whereby businesses can buy allowances to continue to emit carbon and continue to emit other greenhouse gas related related pollutants. Uh, so the, the business knows that there is an ever declining amount of emissions that will be allowed and they can make a decision as to whether to immediately cut the emissions themselves or have to pay some money to allow themselves to continue to emit with a mind toward the fact that ultimately those emissions are going to continue to be reduced. And so the costs associated with those allowances will continue to rise. So it's a it's a way of making of, of of mandating statewide emissions reductions in a more market friendly way. And the idea is that this is uh, a way of 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 bringing a system, uh, an economic system, uh, toward carbon emissions and, and and other greenhouse gas emissions in a more uh, in, in a less economically shocking way than than if we were to just tell emitters tell factories etc that they that they have to cut their emissions tomorrow a lot of factories aren't ready to do that and and so what the cap and trade system does is it allows them to make the financial decision how much am i going to cut back today how much i can uh, buy allowances uh, you know which will allow me to continue to innovate and, and and hopefully get to a place where you'll where they'll be able to stay in business in the future with at a much uh, reduced emission system so so this is a this is a it's a, it's a policy and economic structure that uh, has proven to be successful so far. You put the money from the auction into programs that seek to mitigate or support efforts to reduce emissions as a state. So, for example, we we just uh, we we now have all this money that we get as part of the auction for these allowances for these emissions allowances, and we can then put that money toward good things like helping our you know our freight truck fleet. Uh, shift over to greener technology, helping to uh, fund technological innovations in uh, in tailpipe emissions, helping to pay for more transit, uh, more green ways of of helping people get around and build cities. So it's a it's a it's a it's 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 both it 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 it, it melds market needs and environmental needs. In a in a in an imperfect but I think ultimately relatively elegant way and and the, and, the law you yeah. the law you passed this this summer um, is like an iteration of of cap and trade that it seems like a lot of other municipalities of other governments from around the world are, are looking to yes and we can and, and and there are opportunities for cooperation where we can trade where we can we can enter into markets together we can we can sell allowances and. Uh, you know, together uh, and scale up the system if we want to as well. But I know that the Chinese are very interested. I mean, our governor has been spending quite a bit of time in Beijing talking directly. I mean, he had an hour-long meeting during his last trip with Xi Jinping 
uh, talking about this problem. I think people are looking to California because they're having such a hard time working with the Trump administration on environmental and other issues. They're, they're, they're saying to themselves, well, you know, if we can't necessarily work collaboratively with Washington on certain things, well, at the very least we can work with California and we're going to get a big chunk of the American economy uh, when, when we work directly with, with California. Well, well, that, that kind of raises an interesting question to me, which is the, the extent to which like the politics around these kinds of sustainability questions, um, that, that, you know, California has long been a leader on have shifted, uh, in the 10 months, you know, since, since the, the Trump administration took office. I mean, has there, like, you know, you said like the cabin trade system existed, you know, pre-existed, uh, the, the Trump administration, but has like the politics around some of these issues changed in any meaningful way? I think that the, 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 the new Trump administration, uh, has certainly increased the urgency, the sense of urgency in a, in a, in a place like California. I think before we loved our leadership role, but we also, uh, had a partner in President Obama and, 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 you know, allowed and, and, and sort of expected and worked with his administration to play a role in the broader American leadership role on these issues. Now we can't count on that sort of partnership. And in fact, we're seeing a, 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 a stepping back of the American leadership role and we're feeling the need to step up and take on that role as, as much as we can under our constitutional structure. I mean, there are limitations to what we can do as a state, but there are also a lot of things that we can do. And I think most folks in the political leadership of California are pretty horrified by so much of what's happening in Washington. And, and we, we see it as our, as our responsibility to try to step up and fill in the gaps the best we can. It, it's interesting. I was at this sustainability conference last year in, it was actually in, in the Middle East, but um, Mayor Kasim Reed of, of Atlanta was speaking. And he made a point that, that I found fascinating, which is that, you know, he could sell some of these sustainability uh, projects as being, you know, part of like the hashtag resistance. And it, it sort of increases their political viability if they're seen as, as sort of being done in opposition to Trump's in support of like, you know, the Paris Agreement. Yeah, and that that's true. Um, that's true from both in, both when it comes to how how the policy may play overseas, and also how it may play with the core constituencies in a state like ours, or or in you know, certain cities around the country. I will say the danger, of course, always is that we, you know, we figure out a way to make sure that there's not uh, that, that, we, that we don't that we don't harm the cause by it's a, it's a tricky balance, right? You, you, on the one hand, on the one hand, it's, it's so hard to, uh, to, to, to play, to play ball with Donald Trump, given his, his thin skin, given his, you know, uh, uh, uh you know, reactionariness, his, his, his punitiveness, but at the same time, you've got to also make sure that you recognize that he's the president of the United States has a lot of tools at his disposal and you want to make sure that you're not um, picking too much of a fight unnecessarily. I mean, there are some folks in California who just relish sticking it to the president at every, at every opportunity. And I think ultimately our goals have to be about advancing a strong progressive agenda rather than fighting the president. Uh, fighting the president is, 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 
may, may, may feel good, but, but ultimately the goal is the agenda. It's not, it's not picking a fight with the president. And I think that's something a lot of folks have to keep in mind. Um, can I say, it seems, you know, aside from climate change, one of the key areas in which sort of local governments and state governments might have an impact, though perhaps indirectly, is on, on immigration. Obviously, you know, the states don't control immigration, the federal government does, but the states are, are where immigrants live. Uh, and I'm wondering sort of what what you're doing, what some of your colleagues are, are doing to... Um, you know, to, to perhaps like protect vulnerable migrants, whether they be here legally or, or undocumented. Well, there's a lot of work happening in this area right now in the state of California. Uh, folks are, are, first of all, a lot of what we're, uh, we're doing is providing uh, defense and supports for, for immigrant families, both on the legal side, uh, emotional support for kids, uh, we've uh, we, we've even started working a little bit with Mexico on uh, cross curricular uh, needs because of all these kids who are getting deported who have never set set foot in Mexican schools and have spent their entire careers in American schools and California schools and how do we work closely with Mexican schools to help these kids who are fish out of water all of a sudden. Wait, wait, can, can you explain that? Cause that's not something I, I, I am, I was aware of. I sure a lot of my listeners aren't that, that so you're, what you have kids who are not here legally who are yeah. being deported. Yeah, they get deported. They get sent to Mexico or elsewhere. I mean, Mexico of course is the, the, the largest sending country. Uh, and, and all of a sudden they, they are now in Mexican schools for the first time in their lives. And the Mexican schools don't really know what to do with them. And, and so how do we, how do we coordinate efforts so that at the very least the Mexican schools can have access to some of the curriculum, some of the materials that they've been using in the California schools and use that as a way of trying to help them transition into the Mexican school system. Uh, so that's been, that's been one of many, many things that we're, we've been doing. One of the most prominent things we've been doing, of course, is looking at this whole question of sanctuary city, sanctuary state. I, I think that the debate has gotten a little, um, uh, heated, but 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 fundamentally, what it's about is saying that local law enforcement ought to focus on fighting local crime. That that the that the goal of law enforcement, both at the local and the state level, ought not to be to carry out you know Donald Trump's uh, uh, you know anti-immigrant agenda, but that their that their focus really needs to be on uh, fighting local crime and. That's their that's their task. That's their that's their number one uh, responsibility. And that if the that the, the we're going to make sure that that's where local governments focus is. Now, you know, the question becomes, how much do you mandate local law enforcement's ability to work with the feds when it comes to deporting undocumented immigrants who may have been involved in crime? And after a very long and drawn out negotiation that involved the police chiefs and the sheriffs and the governor's office and the Senate president pro tem, we were able to finally come to a, to an agreement where we were able to, you know, I think strike a pretty fair balance uh, where we were going to you know, limit the ability of law enforcement to work with the feds uh, in certain cases, but not in, in, you know, but certainly not um, a jam up law enforcement's ability to, to do its job and, and, and make sure that those really violent felons who are out there are, are not, uh, that, 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 you know, those kinds of folks will be, will be 
um, uh, the, the local law enforcement could hand over to the feds if they if if they if they so choose. But that but that you know the but that other folks who are caught up in the system uh, will not be um, used as pawns in the in the battle right now with the with the Trump administration. Well, let me let me just mention a couple of interesting things that that I've been working on that. I, 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 let me mention one bill that I think actually your listeners might be pretty interested in. Um, you know, we've been working hard to try to make sure that, 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 that we protect as much as we can in the wake of some of the more outlandish commitments and promises being made by the Republicans in Washington. One of the things I think deeply concerns us is the threatened massive sell-off or, or leasing of federal land to exploiters of all different forms. And part of my job as a legislator is, and as a lawyer, I suppose, is to come up with clever solutions to this current, current constitutional crisis. And, and, you know, one of the things we were able to come up with was a bill, SB 50, it's my bill that was just signed by the governor, in fact, that makes it so that if the federal government wants to sell off public land, sell off federal land within the state of California, we set up a process by which the state is given the right of first refusal uh, for the land. And and, and then if that process is not followed, we would prevent our registrar recorders from recording the deed of sale. Uh, That sets up a constitutional dilemma, it seems. Well, there's absolutely. So there's no question that uh, that the federal government, um, you know, that there, there are limitations to what we can do vis-a-vis the federal government's right to to, to do as it wants with its own land. But um, one of the things that we found is that it's very clear that that the that the act of recording is very much in the hands of the locals hmm. uh, under the constitutional structure, and a number of court decisions have have upheld that idea, and so. You know, that's um, that's an area where we do have some control, and, and ultimately, yeah. all we're doing is give. Yeah. Well, it all, seems all like it's yeah. yeah, yeah. The, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. All we're doing is give, give giving the people of the state the right to, to 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 determine if they want to be able to have that that land first. And we, you know, it doesn't it doesn't seize the land. It, you know, we we would have to come up with a market viable uh, amount of money to pay for it, etc. Uh, but it, it's you know it's about using using constitutional tools at our disposal to mitigate, you know, the worst, mitigate against the worst dangers, the most problematic implications, you know, ramifications of these terrible, commit, terrible policies and promises that are being made by the folks in Washington right now. And um, that was my bill. It was signed into law. And, and we're certainly hopeful that, it, that, you know, other states may look at it as a tool to protect okay. themselves against uh, against these more radical proclivities of the of the, of the feds right now, and and if nothing else, it, it could at least slow down their their land grabbing. Exactly, exactly. At the very least, it slowed down. Hopefully, we'll be able to restore some accountability to, or at least some balance to the force in Washington next year with the elections. Uh, you know, that, who knows what'll happen? But um, but but you know, this is it's funny. I mean, I've I've never been. That's a big fan of Dave's rights before, but uh, you know, I've, I've a me good in, progressive like you, in. Senator. Yeah, yeah, I uh, know it's weird. It's a weird place to be, but but you know, the, but but this is our responsibility. I, you know, we're 
there's a reason why we've got different levels of government. I, you know, we're, we're, we're looking out for our folks right now, our, our, our values, our beliefs when we, when we pass things like this. So, so let me ask you uh, one last question. So, so you mentioned that, that you just came back from the Humanity in Action uh, Conference where you spoke about you know, the ability of states to put up a resistance to the excesses of the, the Trump administration, among other things. I mean, have you ever thought about how your experience in Humanity in Action has informed or, or shaped your, your work to this day? Well, it was a wonderful experience and and a incredible network. It's so neat to see Humanity Action Fellows you know, moving out of the academy and and and, 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 and and both student and graduate student positions can now take on leadership roles, both within the academy and business and the private sector, but also in nonprofits and in government. And the fact that we've got one of our fellows I hear every once in a while on the BBC when I'm driving around LA, driving, mm-hmm. helping to drive policy for the European Union, serving the European Parliament. Uh, it, it's it's immensely exciting to be part of this this network that uh, of folks who are, are are smart, but 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 most importantly, deeply committed to making the world a better place and 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 and, and a globalist international perspective that involves real respect for other cultures and countries. Uh, rather than a, a relationship of exploitation. Uh, you know, I had a magical summer with Humanity in Action and have participated in a number of, of really meaningful programs with them ever since. It helped to ground who I am, helped me think to think about uh, uh, my values and, and, and helped to, to frame the way I look at the United States from within a different context. It's so important sometimes to get out of your own country, your own world, to 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 see how to, to, to just gain a new perspective on things that you take for granted. Sometimes spending some time outside of the United States, working with folks in places like Europe where they have some real similarities to our system, but some real differences too. And, and to see how they grapple with the social challenges and policy challenges and economic challenges that they have uh, is, is so valuable, so meaningful. And to, to have had this formative experience in with humanity in action with the the, the really bright sharp fellows from the program, uh, it, it really did help to frame um, who I wanted to become. I think it got me. It it, it certainly strengthened my commitment to spending a career in public service. It very much strengthened my commitment to. To 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 a, to a to an approach to public service that involves being really open to other models and other ideas and other countries and other types of people. Um, so I'm always interested not only in what other states do when it comes to a policy conundrum, but what is what what do some of our partner countries in Europe do? You know about incarceration or about education policy or transportation or. You know, urban planning. I mean, you know, humanity action helped to to always remind me that that's an important question to ask too. And unfortunately, so many policymakers have a hard time even looking at other states, <laughs> let alone other countries, when it comes to when it comes to the decisions that they make. And 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 and, and humanity action really, I think, situated me in in you know in in, in a at least. To, to want to be part of a, of a much broader conversation about these big policy conundrums that we face. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your work. You know, your work in California, as you said, affects us all. So, so thanks for fighting the good fight. We, we appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate it, man. 
All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Ben for speaking with me. It's always good to uh, to see people that you knew way back when become themselves leaders in, in global affairs and in state affairs. And uh, it's just, it was a great conversation. Glad to catch up with Ben. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.